Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Luke chapter 15, maybe you can turn your Bibles there, please. And um, it is one of those moments, my iPad has just died. So the glory to God, take over God. We're going to preach the word tonight. We're going to get excited. I have a story for you. Because I think Luke 15, and we're going into a series called All for the One. And as a church, we've had the statement, we've had this truth that we've spoken every time we've made big decisions. We've changed things, done things whether it has comedy evenings or spoken to series or planted a church in Milneton. When we planted a church in Milneton and every bit of insecurity rose up as to why would you do this and why would you multiply and why would you extend yourself, there was this truth that we had to wrestle down that we would do it if only one person got impacted, if only one person got changed, if only one life turned to Jesus, that it would be all worth it, the setup teams. And I mean, this morning they had to engage the surprise of all surprises. When they arrived at the church, there was a full-size boxing ring in the middle of the hall. How cool is that? Otherwise, I was going to be preaching. But by the time I got there, they'd made a plan and covered this and done this. I was like, oh. But it was awesome preaching on it because I felt like I could bounce. There was this bounce in the pulpit. I want to get that. And, um, but when we sat down, there was this honest discussion, and I sat with Gabe. As even you wouldn't believe it, our confident redhead had a moment of going, is this right? Should we do this? But we sat down and we said, you know what, if it's for one person. And yet God at every turn and every time is so much more committed to his plans, so much more committed to his purposes, so much more committed to the promising promises he has over his people and his church that he keeps pouring out. But if only for one. In this series, all for the one. We are preaching out of Luke 15, but we aren't preaching a principle of 99 and one. Ten shekels and one. Two sons and one. We're not preaching a principle. We're preaching the heart of the gospel, the very heart of Jesus. See, the reality is, this gospel we preach is not about religion and rules and a whole bunch of things laid out. That if you do them online, it all works out and it all adds up and it'll add up to an eternity with Jesus Oh, your Jesus is amazing. No, it doesn't work that way. Jesus said, actually, I pull you into my story, my gospel. And my gospel is a gospel of love. My gospel is a gospel where I pour out. And so we're preaching Luke 15 along the lines of who is Jesus? You see, when the gospel grips you, you fall in love with Jesus. You get pulled into a story of Jesus where Jesus is king. See what happens when you fall in love with someone? You start loving what they love. For me, it looks like salad. I married a lady who spent her life ballet dancing, and she loves salad. I didn't eat one salad in all my life. I was the fourth child. By the time I came around, my mom was over it. She's like, I'm not going to fight another kid to eat salad. So I got away with murder. I never ate salad. Lettuce was like a green thing someone else ate. And all these things. It's salad. And then dance movies became a thing. I can tell the whole Step Up series. I can tell you each movie, what the plot was, who the actors were. The movie, I can do some of the steps. Not quite like Louise on stage tonight in those white shoes. Energy for days. Energy for days. It's amazing. But when you love someone, you fall in love with what they love. Don't tell him. But I happen to love a certain redhead man named Gabriel Phillips as well. I've known him for a long time, and I've got a lot of love for him. And so what I find myself doing is a tragedy. 
I found myself watching football. Why? It's a silly game that the weaker team can win. It, it freaks me out. And they can end nil-nil. And there's one obviously strong. It's like a whole bunch of reasons I don't like football. But I found myself watching football, not just watching football, watching a certain team who haven't won anything in like decades called Liverpool. Why? Because I love this guy named Gabriel Phillips. Not in a weird kind of way. Stay cool. In a way that I actually love him. I do. And even that, I had bags that were overloaded with stuff coming back from America for Tyler, by the way. And, um, and uh, there we go. And I managed to squeeze my last 200 grams. I, I literally could bring something for my kids, sweets for my kids, or coffee creamer. Fresh vanilla, or what's it? French vanilla flavored coffee creamer. And I'm standing in Dubai going, why am I choosing French vanilla coffee creamer for Gabe? Why? Because actually when you, when you get to know someone, when you spend time in their presence, you begin to love who they are. And you actually begin to love what they love. And this scripture of Luke 15 is more than just three stories laid up that somehow reveal principles to us about who Jesus is. And if you do this, you'll know Jesus. No, he lines up these three stories. And I don't think he's helping the people in the stories. This is not about when you have 100 sheep. One goes, it's not about sheep. Sheep are just a great example and a, and a motif that Jesus uses throughout his gospel. But it's about sheep, and it's about a, a lost shekel, something of value, and it's about this son that goes missing and gets lost and wayward. He says all of these stories tie up to one thing, a heavenly truth, that there is such joy when one lost son or daughter gets found, when one distant son or daughter pulls into a bigger story called the love of Jesus. There is such a celebration in heaven, and I want you to get it. And you know who he's helping? By taking them through this scripture, the very people who are struggling the most, the Pharisees, the Pharisees. So I'm going to read from there. Oh, I've got some notes here. That's amazing. I'm going to read from there. Can you join with me? Luke chapter 15. We're going to read the first 10 verses. That is way too small. So I'm going to read from here. Many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. This raised concerns with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. Indignant, they grumbled and complained, saying, Look at how this man associates with all these notorious sinners and welcomes them all to come to him. In response, Jesus gave them this illustration. There was once a shepherd, there once was a shepherd with a hundred lambs, but one of his lambs wandered away and was lost. So the shepherd left 99 lambs out in the open field and searched in the wilderness for the one lost lamb. He didn't stop until he finally found it. With exuberant joy, he raised it up and placed it on his shoulders, carrying it back with cheerful delight. I don't know about a dirty sheep on my shoulders with cheerful delight. I'm not sure that story would be me, but we're reading about Jesus, thankfully. Returning home, he called all his friends and neighbors together and said, Let's have a party. Come and celebrate with me the return of my lost lamb. It wandered away, but I found it and brought it home. Jesus continued in the same way. There will be a glorious celebration in all of heaven over the rescue of one lost sinner who repents, comes back home and returns to the fold, more so than for all the righteous people who never strayed away. Jesus gave them another parable. There was once a woman who had 10 valuable silver coins. When she lost one of them, she swept her entire house, diligently searching every corner of her house for that one lost coin. When she finally found it, she gathered all her friends and neighbors for a celebration, telling them, come and celebrate with me. I had lost my precious silver coin. Now I found it. That's the way God responds every time one lost sinner repents and turns to him. 
He says to all his angels, let's have a joyous celebration for that one who was lost, I have found. The joy of heaven over lost, broken, distant from the Father, sinners coming home, being restored. It's got to grip us again afresh. I've got a few lost stories. I told one this morning. It's kind of a confession. Can you guys keep a secret? Are we good here? This is no one's Facebooking. It's no Facebook live going. I got it. I got it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a confession. First days of being here, moving down from Durban, we were tired. We had a seven, six week old baby. We had a two year old and then we had a four year old. And, um, and we would come in separate cars because my wife had to get home sometimes a bit earlier than me. And I was on lockup for the building. Someone has to stay behind until all of you are finished and make sure this building is locked. So that night was my duty, and I stayed behind. But I'd preach in the morning, I'd preach in the evening. I was slightly tired, but it was a good day. And I went home. I was still buzzed from the day. There's a bit of adrenaline of the preaching, of the ministering. So I'm still awake. I go home. I think, well, I'm not going to go to bed now because I won't sleep. I watch a movie. So I watched the movie till about 11, then had my normal, usual midnight snack, which is every guy reality, just a little snack. And then I went to bed. The detail's important. And um, then I went to bed. As I got into bed, there was this question my wife asked me, which resounded so deep, deep, deep down inside of me. It horrified me. It, it, it sent me into all sorts of panic and pandemonium. It was this question, did you tuck Judah in? And in a few seconds, that felt like years in my life. I'm lying in bed next to my wife, acting very calm, but a million thoughts are going through my head. Judah's not in this house. He's not here. Where is he? She said something to me as she left the church, but actually I don't know where he is. And then I remembered, as panic came over me, that I'd left my four-year-old son sleeping in the mother's room, at church, while I watched movies, had a snack, and went to bed. If she'd said nothing, he would have slept the whole night here. So I said to her, you know what? He's fine. I'm just going to go check on the kids one more time. And I left the room quietly while inside my heart rate is just pumping. Every bit of anxiety and fear. In my head, there are images of arriving at church. There are cops everywhere. The security force here. Judah's up against the car with, with handcuffs. Four years old. Grand theft. He's there. And I raced back to this church and, and very gratefully found my lost child in the mother's room, still sleeping, not having set the alarm off. I was very grateful to God in that moment. Went home. Ken said, did you tuck him? And I said, obviously, darling. <laughs> and I didn't tell her until about a week later. Please don't tell social welfare. I'm actually a good parent, I think, generally, most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. But here's the reality. Everyone is lost. Until we are found. And sometimes, even as we've walked in the church a long time, we forget that actually we've been found. I want to take us through the scripture a little bit and then make four simple points. Is that all right? Many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. So what's going on here? Now, every dishonest and notorious sinner are hanging around Jesus. What's going on here? How is that right? Because it's consistent with Scripture. Wherever Jesus is, he's known as the friend of sinners. He's known that is engaged. They feel comfortable in his presence. It's a challenge. 
No, these guys are tax collectors. They are essentially money thieves who over-collect tax, work for an oppressive government. They take the, the leftover and they get wealthy out of it. They are wealthy, wealthy sinners. And then there are these other guys. They're just a big category called other sinners. It's like a big category. There's a whole bunch that fits in that category. And Jesus says, and the Bible says, not Jesus, the Bible makes an observation that says Jesus was popular with these guys. They liked being around him. Why? Because even though he didn't water down the gospel, he didn't water down the impact of sin, he didn't water down anything, he did it in such a loving, disarming way and had such a disposition and a posture towards him. They wanted to be around him all the time. I said it this morning, I'll say it again. My desire, I'm not sure always, to be brutally honest, but especially in these last years, has been to build a church where even though people might not believe yet, they can still belong. Is that okay? That people can come in this place, in our gatherings like this, when we gather, that, and, and not just when we gather in church, but in our homes and around dinner tables, they can feel like they belong. Why? Because hospitality, which the Bible calls us to, means welcoming the stranger. It doesn't mean welcoming those that are just like you. It doesn't mean welcoming those who believe everything you believe. It means welcoming the stranger. And I grew up in a home with three older sisters. I was the youngest of four, three older sisters who spend their life doing arts and drama. I can sing every play to you from start to finish. Showboat, Lemus Rab, I can sing it all to you. What was the other one? Um, oh, it doesn't matter. Annie, who, everyone can sing Annie. And um, what about somewhere? Oh, no, we aren't going to do that. But... But I grew up in this home where arts and drama was part of everything. And my dad got pulled in, and I got pulled in, we just got pulled into it. I'm at every play, I'm in every environment. I'm, I'm there since this high. Durban Playhouse was the vibe. I'd just get kitted out in my tie back in the day and go watch plays. And I'd watch them multiple times because we got free tickets. But what came with that world was a whole other world that in Durban is a big world. An influential world. A world full of brokenness and full of pain. And people on journeys of searching... And I didn't plan to speak about this today, but I want to speak about it. It's the world, the homosexual reality of, of the arts and drama world, that especially in, in the arts world in Durban was rough. And I, don't, I didn't think about it at the time because I was too young to process, but I've looked back on those days where we would have massive meals and all these people around our tables from different walks of life, different expressions of their belief systems and different expressions of their world. And I watched my very conservative father from Dundee on a farm open his heart up to people, open his wallet and put the best food on the table. People who were so different to their story and actually believed such different things. They would open up our home when people's worlds fell apart. My parents were doing counseling, even though people didn't believe. They didn't have to believe. That wasn't a disclaimer, a TNC at the bottom. You don't have to believe everything I believe, but I still want to love you. Why? Because that's who Jesus is. And I look back now and I go, thank you, God, that I grew up in that home. Why? Because Jesus is wanting to bring his broken daughters and sons home. Whether they are stealing money from their businesses, whether they just cross with their wives, whether they shout to their kids, whether they've chosen other orientations or stories or brokenness has come in through circumstance and situation, whatever their story the gospel is this great mission of bringing the lost sons and daughters home. That's all it is. And I'm telling you, God is calling us into this story. He says, it's your story too. So grateful to my parents who went on a journey with Jesus, encountered Jesus when I was four years old, and opened up their home, their hearts, 
to all kinds of different people, different races, different orientations, different everything. So grateful to God for that. But God is challenging us and saying, actually, here's what happens. They raise, this raised concerns with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. Indignant. See, this happens in the church too. Indignant, they grumbled and complained, saying, look at how this man associates with all these notorious sinners and welcomes all to come to him. What did Jesus do? He associated with them. It doesn't mean he endorsed every belief. It doesn't mean he celebrated every broken road they'd chosen. It just means he hung out with them. And they felt welcome to enter his presence. It's got to impact and determine our posture. See, because when I love someone, I love what they love. And if Jesus loved to hang around sinners, there's got to be something in me that says, actually, I've got to have an openness in my heart to hang around people that are distant and hard from him. And I'm telling you, they wouldn't have hung around him if his first word was, repent right now. Sure, we preach a gospel of repentance. We do. Jesus did. He never waned from that, ever. Sure, we preach a gospel where sin is a reality and it destroys. And we keep preaching about it. But how do you preach it when you're just shouting at people, throwing love bombs at the world, when you cannot engage and love? And there will always be the indignant. See, the challenge of long-time Christians, long-timers, Who's been saved for more than 10 years? You're a long timer. You got like seriously certificates and all that kind of stuff. It's like, you want one? We can get you one. But um, the problem when you've walked sometimes is you forget how you started your journey. You forget that you were lost and you needed a savior. And you forget that it's only by the grace of God you began to fall into the rhythms of grace. Why do I say that? Well, we taught in in. In Titus 2, it says this, that actually it's, we forget often that it's just the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's only the grace of God. It's not your effort. It's not your ability to do it and to fall into line. It's the grace of God that does that. And actually, we're reminded in 2 Peter 3 that actually we go on a journey of growing in this grace. And what happens is we find it easier to fall in the rhythms of grace. Why? Because we get to know Jesus more. But none of that lands on us. All of it lands on the grace which he has given us. And if I forget that, I fall out of a posture of thank you, Jesus, to look at me and look at you. And you, you need to be like me, rather than, look at you, look at you, I was like you, and actually outside of Jesus, I'm still just like you, you need Jesus, and there's such, it's, it's a fine line, it looks very similar sometimes. But understanding the grace which we have received, which has washed us clean, singing these songs that change everything. God grips us and pulls us into a story. And what happens? My prejudices, which my, I hold on to, and my smallnesses, which I hold on to, and my preferences, which I hold on, begin to become less important. Why? Because when you're looking for a kid that is lost, nothing matters. I don't care. I'll run through a shopping center screaming like a banshee. Have you seen my child? His name's Judah. He's this big with a blue hat. I'll, I'll run and I'll scream and I'll shout. I don't care what anyone thinks about me. I really don't. Until I found him. And when I found him, I'll go around and say, sorry, you're okay. You're cool. But until I found him, and there is a father in heaven who sent his son for that mission. I want my children home. 
I want them close to me. I want to hold them. I want to know them. I want to reveal myself to them. It's got to challenge us. I want to tell you, if Jesus has a Facebook bio, it would look like this. Four points. You know, some people, your Facebook is like one line. Some are like 17 pages long. In standard seven, I was the under 14B cricket captain. It's in your Facebook. I love that. And I found it intriguing. And, um, but I want to give you four things that I think Jesus, this scripture reveals to us about Jesus. See, I can give you the principle of Luke 15, or I can show you Jesus. Number one, he loved the worst. It says there, and that's amazing, amazing scripture. He challenged and he pulls and he says, these are the notorious tax collectors and sinners. They are notorious. Everyone knows them. The reason everyone's getting uppity about it is because everyone knows them. And Jesus chose to hang around them. See, sometimes, even when we've been in the church a long time, and some of these journeys, and you've sown seed and it didn't bear fruit, and you've tried to preach the gospel, and maybe it didn't happen in the way that you imagined, you start going down and you start justifying. And you start coming up with strategies. And I remember sitting with one guy saying, have you preached the gospel to him? And say, well, you know what? I just don't think they're ready for it yet. I just, I don't think they're ready for it. And we start looking for this low-hanging fruit, like a perfectly rough and think, oh, now I'm going to, I'm just the gardener going to pick it. No, you're not the gardener. There's one gardener. Your job is to keep sowing seed. Your job is to keep telling the good news. You see, the good news is always ripe and ready. The good news doesn't ever lack power, and the good news isn't in season or out of season. We get in season or out of season. And the Bible says, stay ready in season and out of season. Why? Because the good news is always, always ripe for everyone. And he pulls him into this story. And he says, well, how does Jesus respond to this challenge that you are pouring in at this time? How does he respond to them? He says, actually, in response, he gives them an illustration. You see, when you're a bit slow, Jesus has to give you a picture. Like a, like a picture. He gives them three because they really needed it. There was once a shepherd with a hundred lambs, but one of his lambs wandered off and was lost. Now, let me just stop you there. I studied years for business. I thought I was going to be a business guy until I died. It was like, I'm going to be a business guy for heaven. That's who I am. So I studied it. And in business, when you've got 99 good ones, like 99 good shares, 99% that's making you money, 99% because remember for a shepherd, this is their legacy, this is their financial reality. And one wanders off, and it's the naughty one. It's the one that wanders off and goes and does silly things and rolls down a bank. What you don't do is leave the 99 to go after the one. Why? Because you've got 99 good ones. But this shepherd says, So the shepherd left the 99 lambs out in the open field and searched for the wilderness for that one lost lamb. See, the same context happened in Luke chapter 5. Jesus approaches Levi and says to Levi, I want you to follow me. And Jesus follows him. And the others come and challenge him. And the same people, the Pharisees, the religious law lovers, come to him and say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but call to call sinners to repentance. Just let me say that again. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. See, and I've, there's this image people use of the church, of church being a hospital. Have you heard that? It's like there's the army and then the hospital's attached to the army and we're moving. And then all these analogies and I'm like, I'm not sure we're a hospital, we're an army, or where are we moving? How does that work? And I never really liked the image of a hospital, to be honest. It's like, let's just get around and gather. And I know why now. I didn't then. You know why? just need water to make this point. Makes it more. Yeah, I got you all. And you're like, what? Why? 
The reason is, because sometimes when we gather as the church, and we gather as the church, as a hospital, we come a, become a cosmetic surgery hospital, fixing ourselves up so we look nicer one day when we get to heaven. And, oh, I'm so much more kind now because I've hung around Christians. I'm so much nicer because I'm patient with this person and I'm a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm telling you, that is not the hospital the gospel is talking about. When Jesus says the church is this hospital analogy, it is a hospital where dead people come to life. And we get healed in healing them. We get healed in participating in the gospel and becoming part of their solution. We get healed by being the flock that stays close to Jesus and keeps safety and playing a part in healing the broken and the dead who come to life. Does that make sense? And when we come all about, well, we're just going to hang out because the more I hang out with Stefan, because I know Stefan reads the Bible and he's just a lovely guy. And look how happy his wife is. Look at him. Look at him. No, I'm joking. It's, which is true. And... But I love hanging around Stephen, so we just hang out. I'll become more like Jesus. Well, there's truth to that, but it's selfish. And it's not the essence of the gospel. And it's not the shepherd who leaves 99 and goes after the one. Is that point made? (laughs) Second point is this. Jesus is persistent. It says this. He didn't stop until he finally found it. He's persistent. He's after you too. He's after me all the time. But he's after those that are far from the Father. And he pulls into the story. And again, I struggled with that song, Reckless Love, when it first came. Not struggled with it. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, God's reckless? Well, God's not reckless. He's like the most strategic person in the world. Obviously, he's God. And, um, but then I realized, as I heard the guy, Corey Asbury, who wrote it, he said, actually, it came out of engaging Psalm 15 and realizing there was the shepherd that Jesus speaks about as he's presenting himself. And calling us to be a part of the story. The shepherd that would leave 99 good books and go after the one. I'm going, wow. From a business perspective, that's reckless. From an emotional investment perspective, that's reckless. And yet, that's who God is. And Jesus says, I want to pull you into this story. He's trying to help the Pharisees move from loving law to falling in love with Jesus. And what Jesus loves. The third point is this. Jesus is the shepherd who carries those who need it. It says, with exuberant joy, he raised it up and placed it on his shoulders, carrying it back with cheerful delight. Why does he have to raise it on his shoulders? Because by the time he's found the lost sheepy, that sheepy has rolled down banks, fallen in streams, got stuck with his feet up as mud pours over it, had to run away from predators, had to run through bushes and thickets and he's got all sorts of stuff in his hair. It's totally exasperated because what happens, the sheep doesn't know how to find water for themselves. So they run the wrong paths and they get lost and they find play themselves in places where there's no water. They can't sustain themselves. And that's when the shepherd comes in and takes the sheep who can't get off his back, picks it up, puts it on his shoulders. You know that sheep is now smelling, now dirty, is messy. It's going to inconveniently mess up my hair and the nice shirt that I've got on. That's the reality. When people are in trouble, it never happens at convenient times. In my world, it's generally Monday morning or Friday night. It's just what it is. And that's what it is. And Jesus says, actually, I'm a shepherd who will go after. And here's the illustration I used this morning that has caused quite a stir. It's like Woolworth's chickens. Who's had a Woolworths chicken here? Who's had the privilege of, it is a privilege. I mean, it's a great, great privilege because they're not cheap. 
you're literally buying shares in Woolworths when you buy a chicken. Why that image? Well, I've realized after 12 years, this is a theological point, by the way. You might want to take your phones out, take a note. This is the only good point I'm making tonight. People don't arrive at church and they don't engage Jesus in the gospel. See, I've got you. (laughs) They don't arrive like Woolworths chicken. What do I mean? Well, a Woolworths chicken has been defeathered, has been basted, and had all the stuff you don't like taken out. And they're all perfectly sized. They're very seldom. Do you find the little skinny Woolworths chicken? They're all sized. And it's all the good chickens who got at least 43 days. And they, 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 they are then basted and plucked. And they are cooked in a machine that's made just to cook chickens. That's what that machine is. And they go round and round and round, so they get well-roasted all around. By the time your Woolworths chicken arrives at home, it is still warm, it's fresh, it's juicy, and you take a button knife to it, and before you even touch it, the wing just goes, bloop. And you just look at it, it falls into eight pieces perfectly. A Woolworths chicken is a gift from heaven. I'm being serious now. But people don't arrive at church like Woolworths chickens. What do I mean? Well, although we preach... Christus Victor, and I completely believe it, people still bring their mess. They still bring their brokenness. They still bring their pains. They're still navigating a stuff. And what's the example? Jesus walks for three years with a guy named Simon Peter who was a fisherman for a whole bunch of years. You know what didn't happen? Simon Peter didn't stop swearing the day he gave his life to Jesus. Just let's get real. They're walking down the road. It's a year. He's been walking with Jesus, seen miracles, seen God's day raised from the dead. Simon Peter's walking, kicks his toe. Ah! And he wasn't praying in tongues. You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't hide behind the bush and just give a whole bunch of swear words. And come back. I'm good, guys. Now, I think Jesus is cool with the fact that Simon Peter is who he is. Kicks his toe. Oh, sorry, guys. I realize I'm on a journey. Jesus goes, no, it's okay, bro. It's okay, but I've got so much more for you. So why don't you want to do that? Because I've got so much more for you. And you actually... And then what you find, Ephesians speaks, I want, to, I want to please him. I want to live to please him. So I go on a journey of becoming like him. It's called relationship. It's beautiful. People don't arrive as Woolworths chickens. Theological point. It's going to be a book one day. Fourth point is this. Returning home, he called all his friends and neighbors together and they said, let's have a party. Come and celebrate with me the return of my lost lamb. It wandered away, but I found it and brought it home. Jesus celebrates and heaven celebrates when one returns. Just one. One that wandered away. One that made mistakes. It's a consistent, consistent theme. The story of the lost coin is the same. This lady's looking for a coin. And understand, they didn't have LED lights in those days. They had candles. So it's really hard to find a coin on a floor that's wooden slats where it could have gone between. It says she's just sweeping. She's sweeping. And she finds this one coin and completely celebrates. Calls her neighbors. Come and celebrate. Had a very awkward moment on an airplane recently. As I was found myself sleeping with one of those eye patches on. And then I felt someone on top of me. I'm going... What is going on here? To take it off, to realize this lady just down the road from me had lost her cell phone and thought she would navigate her way over me while I slept to find her precious cell phone in an airplane that's moving at a very rapid pace. It was an awkward moment. But people do crazy things when they lose stuff. 
But when they find it, the relief and the joy, heaven celebrates. Why do we celebrate when one gives their life to Jesus? Remember, Jesus is trying to help the Pharisees, I think. I don't think he's condemning them. I don't think he hated them. I think they were just another batch of sinners. The notorious tax collectors. This other group of sinners. And the Pharisees. He's got compassion for them. They just lost. See, where Pharisees preach religion, Jesus spoke love. Where they brought the law, Jesus says, actually, my Father's righteousness, I give, I'm going to give to you by my blood. I'm going to pour it over you. Where the, the Pharisees would shout, stay out, unclean, stay out, sinners. Jesus would say, well, come dine with me. He, he took those disciples who were full of rough edges. He says, come walk with me for three years. I don't know, Jew, but there's moments I've had 30 minutes with someone. I'm like, that's a heavenly investment, and I'm done. And then God goes, I spent three years with Simon. He betrayed me. He let me go to the cross and lied about knowing me. And even knowing that, I washed his feet. Judas walked with me for years. See, the Bible calls the good news and speaks of the good news. Religion has no good news to offer. So religion keeps shouting at people, you're dirty, you're unworthy, you've got to work harder. Jesus says, just come be with me. Receive what only I can give. When we get that and we are reminded that that's the gospel we preach, not principles and not a whole bunch of ways. If you do this, you do this. Now, that's the Pharisees, guys. We're Jesus people. We pulled into a Jesus story. It's different. And there's this picture. I was watching Son of God with my kids the other night on Friday nights. It's quite graphic. And there's this moment where Jesus says, I'm going to, this is our last meal together. Imagine you've hung out with Jesus who has totally rocked your world and he says to you, this is our last meal together. Tragedy. Even though the prophecies had come and even though he'd spoken about they they were broken by Jesus. The Bible says Jesus takes off his outer garments. He takes off his robe and he lays it aside and he gets on his knees. The king of kings, perfection, to wash these guys' feet. And I was reading the other day, and I read about this robe. What's important about that robe? We don't realize some things. There's this robe. Jesus probably wore a robe like all the rabbis of the day would have had, would have been given. They would have been given a robe. And all the rabbis wore a robe where there were these tassels that came off. And each of those tassels had these knots in them. And there were, exact 600, there were exactly 613 knots in every robe. Why? Because that's the number of laws. The people had to come under and not break to be right with God. And our Jesus breaks into that story. He gets on his knees, takes off his perfection of never having sinned, every 613 law that he'd never broken, and he lays it aside. He starts washing creation's feet. And then, the accusations come. He goes to a cross and takes off his righteousness so that he can take on our sin and shame and guilt so that he can wash us clean. If you have received salvation, 
if you have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus, it came at a great price. And it wasn't your price, it was his. And when I take too much glory for the story he's written in my life, the fact that outside of him, things would be very different. When I take too much glory, I stop remembering who he is. I pull away from his presence and I start judging others. We're not called to be the judge of the world. We're called to be those who will go after the broken and the lost and those who in worldly economics don't deserve it. Pay a price. Have them in our homes. Put them on our shoulders and carry them at times when they can't carry themselves. I'm talking about very people with lots of money in the bank account who the world thinks are highly successful. And see, I've carried some of those people. You know what you've got to get over? Sometimes you're not going to get a thank you. Jesus healed 10 lepers. One came back and said thank you. You know why you do it? Because you're reminded that our Savior took off his righteousness took on our sin so that we could be washed clean. Luke 15 is not a principle of evangelism for the local church. Preach this, guys will share the gospel. No, Luke 15 is a way of drawing near to Jesus again. Being reminded that outside of him, I'm nothing. Outside of him, I can't be in relationship with God. Outside of him, I haven't got much to give. But when I'm in him and he's taken his robe of righteousness and clothed me with it, I can carry. I can love the worst. I can chase them persistently. I can put them on my shoulders. And I become and am pulled into a story that's much bigger than I could ever understand. Could I have the band up, please? Can you stand with me? I just. The gospel has to move us. It's got to move us. It's got to move us from apathy. It's got to move us from smallness. It's got to move our prejudices towards being more like Jesus. Who said, actually, I'll die for my enemies. I want you to love your enemies. It's got to move our, I don't like hanging around this group of people. You know what is a real prejudice for many people who don't have massive money in the bank? It's actually rich people. And so what happens is you think you don't have the opportunity or the privilege or the space to share the gospel with them. And you know, God says they need the gospel. There's seven, over 7 billion people in this world. 7 billion. I was one hour away from India when I was in Dubai. 1.4 billion people who worship hand, man-made idols who can't raise from the dead, who can't bring life and just work after work after work. Hopefully one day when you die, one day when you reach eternity, there might be a God who'll say, you did just enough to come into my kingdom. 
And then came to this world a man who said, I'm going to take off my righteousness. I'm going to put it on you. Don't hide. You can't hide all your brokenness. But I'm just going to put it on you. Why? Because there is a father who sent me, who so desires to have you in relationship with him. And there's a father who sent me to this world. Yes, to the world, to the darkest, darkest places of the world. Oh, preacher, preacher to them. Hate the world, but give me Jesus. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is, for God so loved the world. Oh, the drug dealers, Mark? Yes, the drug dealers. God so loved the world. Oh, the people who've done the worst things in the world? Yes. What about rapists? God died for them so they could encounter the love of Jesus. Why? Because in the state that they're in, they don't know who they are. They don't know who they are. And your mother and father who messed up, they didn't know who they were. And they need Jesus to know who they are so that we can spend eternity together knowing who he is. The gospel pulls us into something so much more. And it's a little reckless. It won't always make sense and the numbers won't always add up. But in the light of eternity, who cares what the numbers do? I don't care if my numbers add up for my life. And I've got friends who look at my life and go, well, actually, you wasted a whole bunch. And I'm going, I don't care what you think of the numbers. I care what he thinks. I care what he thinks of every breath he gives me. I care what he thinks with my kids who are for the gospel and my family who live for the gospel. I don't want to be watered down to something smaller to live a risk-free life. No, I want to live a life that looks like Jesus. It looks like reckless love. And we're going to sing something of the song now. Because God has to move you and he has to move me. Stop leaving it up to someone else. There are conversations God called you to have. One of the greatest rebukes I've got in my life was from a friend of mine. I worked with him for two years. He said, why didn't you tell me about Jesus? I'm like, well, I was waiting for the right time. You know who shared the gospel for it with him? Ten years ago, he's been walking with Jesus for ten years now. Someone who shared the gospel with him had been saved for two weeks. I'd been saved for most of my life, and I was waiting for the right time. We've got to stop waiting for the right time. There is an urgency to the gospel that has to rip us out of our couches, have to rip us out of our comfort zones, have to rip us out of suburbia, have to rip us out of safety and pull us into environments where actually anyone can come in. And all I'm asking to you is allow the gospel to make your life accessible. I'm not asking you to go into any environment that you wouldn't normally go. I'm asking in any environment you go into, is your life accessible like Jesus was? Or is prejudice a wall and preference a wall? Well, let the walls come tumbling down so the reckless love of Jesus can be revealed to those who are far from. Jesus, grip our hearts. Will you raise your hands to him? Jesus, will you grip our hearts? I pray repentance even in my own heart in this place where walls have come up. And I say, God, rip them down so that your glory can come. I want to be a part of an eternal story where your grace and your goodness overwhelms. Where the most broken would come to know you, God. Where those that are doing the most damage in this life would spend eternity with you because they have been washed by your grace and your goodness. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you are the good shepherd. I believe you would go after the one and leave the 99. I believe you have pulled us into your story. I believe in you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. Have all the glory, Jesus. Have all the honor, Jesus. We exalt you, God.